Kyle, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Would love to hear, you know, so many different parts of your story, probably relevant for our audience, but um, also just interesting facets. Would love to hear, uh, you know, in a nutshell, kind of your story into finance, how you got started. And, uh, you know, we'll take it from there. Yeah, definitely. Um, we so, yeah, Mitchell, we were chatting before we we hopped on record here about uh, about Mises and you know, the Austrian school and that kind of thing. Um, that was actually the starting point for me. Right. I, I got I think I read The Road to Serfdom uh, pretty early. It was you know, it was it's like a gateway eighth, book. <laughs> yeah, it is a gateway book. Eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that. And um, from there, I was like, oh, you know, I want to do something with with economics, finance, something. Wasn't really sure what. Um, kind of got to college and looked at sort of what my econ TAs were doing, and I was like, that doesn't look like fun to me. <laughs> um, so from there, you know, started started poking around in terms of you know actual applications of yeah. you know economics and and, and that kind of thing, and um, ended up interning at a couple of hedge funds. I went I went to I studied math at the University of Maryland College Park. Um, so I would take the subway in, you know, do my hedge fund thing, come back and and try not to fail out of the math major. Um, and, you know, just kind of kind of rinse repeat on that for for a few years. Um, ended up, you know, sort of cold emailing, hustling my way into a, an internship at JP Morgan uh, for a summer in their sales and trading. And then from there was able to you know kind of parlay that into a uh, full-time offer at the, you know, one of the bigger hedge funds out there, multi-strat fund called Millennium. Um, and then, you know, really from there, I did that until 2018. Um, and then, you know, the entrepreneurial itch kind of, kind of got to me. Right. And so that kind of brings us to, to where we are today, which is, you know, I own some real estate, um, do some credit investing, do some lending, right. Do some angel investing. Um, so yeah, just, just kind of, I would, I would say today, you know, very, very agnostic, but, you know, really enjoy risk taking, really enjoy yeah. looking at opportunities um, and, you know, through different sorts of frameworks. And, um, you know, definitely, you know, not I, I would say if you had told me at any step of the thing, you know, where the ultimate thing was going. Right. I would have probably been like, well, what the hell? That doesn't, that doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. But, you know, getting here, it, it you know, there's a lot of things I picked up along the way. And, you know, I think it's it's really easy when you're in undergrad or even when you just graduated to sort of sit down and say, Hey, this is my, my trajectory is going to be kind of this linear thing. that's going to yeah. start here and it's going to go, but it, it, it never works like that. And it's not only because there's exogenous stuff outside of your control. It's also the case when you get to T plus 10 or whatever, you're different. And the yeah. way you see stuff is different. Right. So, you know, I think it's, I, I, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm, it's, it's where I'm at. It's fun. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I I definitely can relate in my own career, and also just like I feel like all the the people with the most interesting career stories always have that very nonlinear path when you look back. And sometimes when you're you're looking back, sometimes it feels like maybe it was more intentional than what it actually was. It's like, yeah, I, I definitely uh, meant to turn right back there in the fork in the road. So I wanna I wanna drill into to some of those earlier experiences, uh, in particular, like your path into Wall Street and and how you maneuvered your way into what is, you know, kind of like an old boys club. Like, you know, who do you know? Uh, what what prestigious university did you go come from? Like, how did you go get your foot in the door in like a super cutthroat, highly competitive in arena? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. And 
it's something that, and I think this is one of the things that I've sort of taken away from my career broadly, right? You're, you, you do shit and you don't necessarily know while you're, you're, you're just kind of trying to solve, how do I get from here to here? And, and, and you're doing this and then, you know, you find out later, sometimes years later, like, wow, that was actually a pretty portable thing there. Right. Which is, and so in my case, right, with respect to kind of getting onto Wall Street, right, it was it was having a willingness to basically, you know, love large numbers stuff, send a lot of cold emails, take yeah. a lot of calls, hop on a $20, you know, mega bus up to New York City, meet with some guys who were, you know, alum of, of University of Maryland and, and shoot the shit with them and convince them that I was a cool guy and that they should, you know, even though it was unorthodox, right, they should push HR to get me an interview, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that was a lot of, it was honestly just kind of biting the bullet and being like, I I probably wasn't the most like out there guy in high school or anything, or the most aggressive guy with respect to something like that, but recognizing that being that guy and pushing hard and not giving a shit if I failed because I was sending another 50 emails the next (laughs) day or whatever, right. That kind of thing, being okay with rejection, like getting past that initial gag reflex around rejection, um, and just being willing to 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 play the numbers and and that kind of thing. I think that was probably the biggest. That was, I mean, that got me my first internship. Yep. It got me my first interview with a with a Wall Street bank. Um, it even even after I had those building blocks, that got me all of the interviews for full time roles at at mega funds. Um, you know, so. I think just broadly being really fucking aggressive and yep. not giving a shit people reject you. Um, yep. taking, taking feedback that's constructive and helpful. Yes. That's, that's super fucking important, but also recognizing when feedback doesn't come from a good faith place or maybe it's not applicable for some reason. Yeah. Right. I think putting those together and just going out into the arena and, and taking a lot of cuts. I mean, that's, that was ultimately how that was ultimately number one, an approach that even when I, sort of had something to draw on in the way of experience, right? Network that was still super valuable. Um, But then also, you know, so much learning comes out of that, right? One of the first, one of the first cold email sort of blasts I did, um, (laughs) I didn't realize that fonts were going to show up differently in Outlook than they do in Gmail, right? So one of the first, literally within five minutes of me hitting send, some dude's like, bro, your fonts are f***ed up. Do you know that? Oh, (laughs) no. But the dude took my call, right? And he was really cool about it. He was like, just get your fonts straight. Like, I'm just, I'm not even trying to to knock you or anything. Like, other people are going to notice your fonts are wrong and they're going to hit delete. And I was like, thanks, man. Like, that's, that's helpful, right? Take the tip. Yeah. 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 So take, take a lot of cuts, take a lot of cuts. And I think, I think think you're either going to learn something or you're going to, you know, you're going to hit something. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You, you, I think sometimes people overlook that, like, going, you know, getting in the batter's box, take, taking all those early cuts. Like sometimes if it doesn't immediately result in the, in, in the kind of outcome you're after, like that's a failed experience, but you clearly picked up along the way, even before you had success, like you, you, you clearly learned along the, on the, right. along the way by trusting the process. So that very first internship, so play in the, the cold email game, did you have a template that led you to want to do that or what, what gave you the idea to be like, okay, I'm going to just, I'm going to do this until it works. And, and not only the idea, but the resolve to see it through. Yeah, no. So it's, 
It's a great question. And it's, it's, it's funny because you, you make a great point earlier, right? Which is that early failures or successes, right? Let's say you get, there's a lot of reps, right? There's yeah. a lot of draws from the distribution, something like this. And if you strike out on your first 20, 40, 50, whatever, right? You're going to say, Oh, this, this doesn't work. Yeah. Right. And so I think that I got pretty lucky, um, from the perspective of I probably, e- I probably only sent 20 odd emails on that first go round. And I got, I think I got two interviews out of that. So the hit oh, nice. rate was outrageously high. Yeah. It was way too high. It had no business being that high. Um, and I think that it was, you know, I've always been, it's kind of a dumb thing to be good at, but I've always been pretty good at writing emails. I've always been pretty good at writing emails. So I think on the one hand, people are like, all right, this guy can format a resume. He can write an email. He's got some shit going for him. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, the, the interviews were pretty, they were pretty light from a technical perspective. And especially, and this is something, I don't know how prevalent this is outside of, of finance, right? But most finance interview processes even you're pretty laid back. Hey, you know, I'm shooting somebody a cold email for a, for an internship, you know, 20 hours a week during the academic year, right? Even something like that will generally have a pretty technical component, right? There's going to be a qualitative component. There's going to be a technical component. I've always found that if you really perform well in the qualitative piece, right? They're going to, they're going to be like, all right, you know, this guy, he, you know, he's like an eight out of 10 guy on the quantitative <laughs> piece, but. We really like him. He's a good dude. Yeah. Right. And so I've always found you can kind of balance that out. But, you know, the couple that I have, they were pretty light on the technical. You know, I think one of them had a programming question, which I sort of stumbled through. And, you know, they were like, the main thing, you know, the main thing we need out of somebody who's doing this role, they got to know VBA because they got to fix our risk models because our risk models are all up. And I was like, I'm your man. I know VBA. And I was like, please do not, please do not have a VBA. Keep doing the pseudocode. Please do not have a VBA specific <laughs> syntax question. And they didn't. So then I, you know, I, I got back to my dorm. They shoot me an email. They're like, we want you to come, we want you to start tomorrow. And I was like, oh, I better learn VBA. And so, <laughs> you know, that was kind of. Back to the drawing board. Real quick. That was, yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, I, and, and so, you know, one of my, I was lucky they didn't call me on that. Right. But one of the things I found in the course of interviewing that is huge um, is, is contrary to that early, you know, kind of lucky break, you should always, always under promise so that you can over deliver. Right. So if somebody looks at your resume and they go, oh, this dude's done X, Y, and Z in Python. Right. You should be like a fucking Python genius when they come at you in the interview. Right. Yep. Because if you go the other way and they're like, they, you know, that disconnect is never good. When yep. you go the other way, people are like, oh, shit, like this guy's legit. Right. Um, so, you know, got a little lucky on on that. But, um, you know, that's that the, the under promise over deliver is definitely kind of the, the tried and true sort of strategy. In the interview. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I think that's definitely great advice. I, I you know, I, I tell people this all the time, especially like you know, I'll see like college grads coming out and they're like, I have all these things on my resume. And it's like, well, what have you actually done? Well, I did a bunch of assignments. And so I listed this XYZ skill on a resume, but I couldn't replicate, you know, that skill in the real world. So it's like, don't list that stuff then. You're not like yeah. actually good at that. You don't have an experience to back it up. One of the wildest things, you know, for me as somebody who was studying, I mean, I was, I was finance and math. And at a point I, I ditched finance, uh, just, and just, I had to, gra- I was graduating early from my full-time job. So I had to drop something and it was that I stuck with math. 
But, um, you know, one of the wild things about even the, the finance program is just how light it was with respect to how to do shit in Excel, yeah. how to do shit in PowerPoint. I mean, if you're going into finance and you haven't done... Now, listen, I mean, it's different if your dad is like CEO of Deutsche or something. But like, <laughs> if you're some guy, yeah, if you're some guy like me trying to get this job, like, and you can't do shit in Excel, I mean, you're going to have a, a hard in time. I mean, you know, banking, PowerPoint, and Excel, right? Trading, power, not, no PowerPoint really, but like Excel definitely. And then, you know, at this point, at this stage of the game, you, you should probably know how to program, right? And it doesn't have to be in something crazy. It can be Python. Um, it can even be VBA on a lot of desks, right? It doesn't have to be some, it doesn't have to be some heavy duty C++, you know, compiled language. It, it, it can definitely be a scripting language. There's no, no, nothing wrong with that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, yeah, if you don't have the right dad, you, you better be good at that <laughs> because they're going to expect you to be good at something. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, I think that's something that I was really surprised about just, just how the, the B school broadly was really, really light on real world, you know, skills yeah. like how to use Excel and not use the mouse, like stuff, stuff that will save your life later. Right. Just, yeah. just very, very little, which is why the career stuff, which is why getting the internships. Right. And, and doing that kind of to, to, to your point about, oh, I did it in the classroom. That's super valuable because you can talk about stuff that, you know, your interview is going to have done at some point and, yep. and they're going to be like, oh, wow, this, this kid has actually done some shit. It wasn't a group project. This guy had, you know, this guy was working at some fun while doing school and he had to get some shit done under some time constraint. Like that's, that's, that's very legit. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So like following those f- first few internships and like, you know, going out and, and getting your foot in your door, in the door, like your first early career experience. At like what point did did it change from like I'm trying to just get whatever I can get to I have a plan here. There's kind of like a a career path or a loose plan that I'm I'm shooting toward. Yeah, no, this is this is a great uh, this is a great question. I love this. So I I think there was always some semblance of a plan. Mm-hmm. I think. I think the thing that happened was the sort of not the I guess the the timing of it changed, right? Yeah. Because initially I was sort of like, all right, you know, let's condition. And I think this happens. I think people do this a lot. And I think that it I, I see it a lot when like people like when I would ask people for advice, it would happen a lot too, which is that you are generally conditioning sort of outcomes, right? And the pace yep. at which, at which with, sorry, the pace at which you can accomplish things um, on sort of being a, a, let's say a replacement caliber person, right? A median person. And if you're not a median person or you're less than a median person, right? Those projections are going to kind of fall short, right? Yep. So I had spoken to a lot of folks and, you know, I would get coffee, get drinks with folks in New York. I guess not drinks. I wasn't 21 yet. So coffee, I get coffee with people in New York, right? And for the most part, you know, they would give me pretty middle of the road sort of milk toast um, advice about what to do. And, and that worked, but then it, there sort of came a point where I had been successful enough that it was clear that I was probably not the median person. Yep. And so at a point following that advice was going to be detrimental, right? And so I think there was always a plan. I think it was the pace that changed, right? My yep. plan was, Let's get on a trading desk at one of the big Wall Street banks, and I'll do that for a couple of years. And at some point, you know, I'll I'll parlay that into a job on the buy side, like people do, and 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 then you know, and then from there, I, I didn't know what was going to happen after that, but yeah, you know, that was it. 
right? That was kind of the, the plan. And so, you know, when I when I got the internship at JP Morgan my sophomore summer, all of a sudden I was like, all right, I've got an advantage here. Yeah, I, I should press this advantage. And so that was kind of that was sort of for me a big turning point because I went from a world in which I had a lot of people who could teach me a lot of shit and who could give me really solid, if if, if even if pretty narrow kind of domain yep. advice, right? I had a lot of people I could draw on from that for that kind of color, for that kind of advice. And those people kind of faded, <laughs> right? Because they were like, oh, I mean, this guy's in like pretty uncharted territory. I mean, he's he's teed up to have the job I have now pretty soon. And yep. so like what to do next, right? And I think that that was initially really disconcerting, just being like, none of these guys have the answers to this because they haven't been there. Yeah. Um, but I found pretty soon, and certainly, you know, after leaving Wall Street, um, that's actually just a big part of the game is yeah. realizing that the people who you looked up to, you know, you kind of passed them at a point with respect to on, on some dimensions, you've passed them. And you can't really get great color from them anymore because you've passed them. Right. Um, and so that was a, that was a weird thing for me personally, but it's been a recurring theme where, you know, I'll, as an example, where I do a lot of distressed credit investing. I can talk to my attorneys or someone about the, the nuances of, all right, this particular deal or how to approach this particular foreclosure or something like that. But it's very hard to get someone to say, this is what you should do. This yeah. is what you should do with your time. This is what you should do with your capital, right? That kind of bigger picture step back and think about you know, what you want to be doing in 10, 20 years. That advice is really hard and good advice on those dimensions is really hard to come by. And so I think you know, I was sort of out there you know, confused and scared in the arena for a bit, but I think it was a great lesson that really you know, was indicative of what the future was going to look like, which is that you get to a place and you've kind of, it's kind of a mission accomplished moment. Yeah. But it's sort of because you're like, all right, well, now I got to find people who know something about the next stage of this thing. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Great question. Yeah. You, you, you parlayed into the, the perfect next question there as well, though. But like, as you're entering those next phases, you know, whether it's, you know, internship to first job and you have some success or, you know, later on in your career, you South went side from, to buy side. Yeah. yeah, you made several transitions and later into entrepreneurship. Like one, so two part question. One, how do you realize that suddenly the people around you that you've you've previously relied on, like they're no longer the right people to ask? And two, like where do you turn for advice or for uh, formulating a plan about what to do next? Yeah, no, they're great questions, and it's. It's funny because one of the challenge, one of the perpetual challenges, and I've, I'm sure you follow me, so you know that I've poked fun at this over the over the <laughs> last six months. But one of the challenges about the whole mentor thing, right, yeah. is that you're even if you have someone who's a killer, who's ahead of you, you know, yeah. in age and and and, and accomplishments and this kind of thing, right? It can still be very difficult to get quality advice out of that yep. person because they are broadly giving advice to the medium person. Yeah. Right. And so, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be a dick for doing this. I might be a dick for other reasons, but it's definitely <laughs> the case. It's definitely the case that I, I do this as well. Right. 
until someone demonstrates to me, you know, convincingly that they're in the right tail of the distribution. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give advice to the medium person and sort of see what happens with it. Right. So, I mean, there were, there were kids, there were underclassmen below me who, you know, would come to me and say, Hey man, you know, how did you do this? And I would tell them and some of them would act on it and some of them wouldn't. Right. And so the ones who did, I was like, all right, next level, right. This is, if you really want to push this thing, this is what you can do. Right. And so one of the persistent challenges I think about soliciting advice from people who are ahead of you is that if they don't eventually start to give advice that's sort of conditional on you being in the right hand side of the distribution, you know, probably they're not probably not such a great person to go to for advice. Right. Yeah. And so that to me is sort of the 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 measure of whether or not you continue to get advice from someone is are they sort of taking into account successes and failures probably, right? And adjusting the advice to you. And if they're not, probably not such a great person to, to get advice from, right? Maybe they've got a lot of domain experience, right? So maybe you're, um, maybe you bought a property in a town and you don't know a lot about zoning. You're not really in with zoning. There's probably a couple of attorneys who are, and they, you know, there may be not some guy you'd be like, Hey, man, should I buy this deal or not? Right. But they can tell you if you do buy this property, right? What sorts of battles are you looking at if you're trying to make yep. a, a change to it? Right. So I think that's that's the difference. There's still a lot of people who can give decent domain experience, but when you well, when you want someone who can do the step back and bigger picture advice, I've I've just consistently found that to be to be really, really challenging. And I think the the piece of advice that I would give to folks who are looking for that person, um, number one. Don't spend a lot of time looking for that person. Like if you run into <laughs> yeah. that person, that's yeah. fucking great. Like if you run yeah. into that person, that's awesome. But don't be, you know, I, I've had some joke tweets about standing on a corner in Midtown with a sign, <laughs> right? I mean, don't do that. Like just do the shit. There's a lot of value in just doing the shit. You're yep. going to learn a lot by just doing the shit. And, you know, the people who give you advice, sometimes they can save you some pain in that learning process. Sometimes they can't. But I think that if you want to find somebody, I would... I would spend less time focusing on domain and more time just focusing on on result results outright, right? Yeah. Someone has been fucking successful in something. There's probably a lot about what that person did that is pretty transferable and pretty pretty trans um, pretty transferable and pretty portable yeah. to your domain, whatever that is, right? And so I think that's that's the biggest advice. Just always be on the lookout. You know, there there are people who killed it in a million different things. And don't toss somebody for that reason, right? Somebody who's taking some risk and accomplish something, they can probably teach you something about something that's applicable to what, you know, what you're trying to, to do it, in, right? So that's, that's probably the biggest. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great way to, uh, it's a great way to think about it. And I, I love the point that you make about like most people are watering down their advice for the median versus like, I'm, I'm giving you, uh, I'm giving you advice as someone who is in the upper echelon of like right. performer knowing ever. you here's yeah. the advice you're you're in this decile here's the advice and so you now it used it used to kill me because i would be like yeah yeah i'm getting you know drinks with this guy and 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 he's totally he's totally doing the shit i want to do and he'd be like all right well the first thing you got to do is you got to format your resume right and i'm like bro <laughs> come on come on man i'm at this drinks with you obviously i did my resume shit, right yeah. man come on yeah. so it's 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 uh, it can be discouraging, and you know, I I sort of came to this formulation after after just seeing it a lot. I would be like, why is this guy telling me this? Like he's acting like I'm some dude off the street. But it's actually, you know, most most people just that's that's kind of how that's how they give advice, right? So yeah, yeah. and and it, I mean, it 
kind of goes goes back to like the other other point. It was like, you know, if you're the person who's like, oh, you're so hungry for a mentor that you forget to actually do the work or you're not actually out there hustling, like you're probably not going to get a whole lot more value out of having the mentor. Like just go do the work, go do the work. And like, you know, that that's kind of a more important precondition than having a mentor is like that you're actually yeah. out there hustling and, and doing the work. So, yeah, um, I mean, and. And a lot of, I mean, I think the people who, the people who you look up to, who I look up to, right, who could potentially be mentors, they're going to want to see something, right? Yeah. They're going to want to see, hey, I mean, the guy, there's, there's one guy I have, he's, he's an attorney of mine, who's probably the closest thing that I've ever had to a, to a mentor, if you will. Um, and, you know, he, the way I met him was by doing, it, it yeah. was not by me, you know, Posting something on, on you know, <laughs> Craigslist singles or something, be like, hey, you know, I'm some kid, I want a mentor. Like, nah, if you do, sh- you're going to find people who are going to be like, that guy's doing some cool shit. It's got some overlap with mine. You know, I'm going to, and, and, and the whole mentor, I mean, I, I think that if he heard me call him that, he would be like, what the, f-? like, definitely, <laughs> definitely not your mentor. Chill. Like, Chill, I'm your bro. attorney. Like, yeah, yeah, like, I'm your attorney and, you know, we hang out, but like, I don't know that mentor thing. That sounds kind of weird. I'm gonna have to really right? so, more for that. <laughs> <laughs> Bumping my hourly now that I'm a mentor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, at what point in your career did you feel like you were you were starting to see this shift and like I want to continue down this track versus I've got this entrepreneurial itch. I got to go do my own thing. Yeah. No, it's a great it's a great question. So the the short answer uh, the short answer is that my desk got fired. Oh. Um, and the long. <laughs> So I, I guess, you know, this is for the Wall Street fans out there yeah. who, who appreciate this, but, but Millennium, so Millennium is a big multi-strategy fund, right? I think they're probably like $40 billion today. And when I was there, they were, you know, there were a load of desks and everyone's doing their own thing, right? So I'm sitting across from dudes who are trading financials, um, we're a commodities desk, right? And so everyone's just, everyone's just doing their own thing, super diversified. Um, that's the model, right? And so if anybody draws down too much, they've got really tight risk limits and really tight drawdown limits, right? So I guess it was my, you know, I guess it was 2018, you know, we had had sort of a a not incredible 2017 and we had started getting it back in 18. And then, you know, some of the Trump tariff things happened and that, that, that we got in some trouble on that. So we went back to being kind of flat on the year. Um, and that was, that was sort of it. Um, and so, you know, then I had this non-compete I was waiting out. So I was interviewing around, um, you know, with other funds in in Greenwich, and it, we, you know, we kind of, I kind of got to a point where I was like, all right, well, I got some stuff on the table, but my non compete's not up yet. I wonder what it'd be like if I just did this real estate thing. Yeah. Um, because I had done, I probably owned less than twenty units at the time. I mean, it wasn't a lot, uh, but I had done a few things. I bought, I bought STR in Savannah, Georgia, um, and learned some great lessons about third party management there. I'm sure. <laughs> um, I had, and I had, I had probably, I'd made a couple of acquisitions in, in Connecticut, totally different strategy focused on workforce housing, you know, high, high yield stuff. Um, a lot, a lot of section eight, still have a lot of section eight today. Um, and you know, I think my, my partner and I had just had very recently won at a foreclosure sale, a duplex for like 20 grand, <laughs> right? Hoarder house, complete. I mean, just the <laughs> nastiest. And so here I am. You know, one week I'm on a trade. I'm sitting on a trading desk in in Greenwich with my boat shoes up on the desk, 
And the next week I've got my, you know, my steel toe boots on and I'm crashing out this fucking order house. Right. And, 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 you know, people, people who know, it's funny because people who really, really know me, they were like, bro, turn down those hedge fund offers, do this real estate. It's fucking wild. And it looks nothing like the hedge fund, but it's totally you. Right. And I was like, I don't know, man, I kind of like, kind of like the hedge fund guy thing. I kind of feel like it's, it's my thing, but you know, the more that I, did it and I had this great kind of 90 day non-compete window during which I could just sort of do it. Yeah. Um and and the more I did it, I was like, you know what? This is definitely more convex than the hedge fund thing in the near term. And it was kind of hard for me not to say it's probably more convex in the long term too, because it's just going to compound. Yeah. Right. So that was that was kind of the the point for me where I was like, all right, Called up the guys who made me offers, said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And they were like, you're going to another fund? Where are you going? And I was like, eh, not really. <laughs> um, so that was that was a turning point, right? It was when I looked at I looked at sort of the what I perceived to be the 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 paths of it. And the hedge fund thing was, you know, steep but linear. And this seemed to be a lot more convex and a lot more open-ended. Um, and it was sort of, it was, it was, it was weird for me because I spent all of undergrad. And a, and a good piece of you know the the years the few years out of undergrad, very um, very myopically just marching down this this path. Yep. Um, but you know I I think that I saw that there were a lot of inefficiencies in private markets and as a public markets guy, it, 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 that that was really compelling to me. And then it was just also just the convexity for me personally. It seemed to be something that had you know a, a lot of upside. Yeah, that's awesome. So did you go you go into like personal investing for for a while what was that stint like before launching uh the the private money lending yeah so so we did um a lot of deals and you know I, guys i went to college with threw down on some of the stuff um and you know we've we've done well on it today i really only buy real estate you know me personally yeah um i think that there's there are some things about real estate and in particular workforce and, and C-class housing that um, you just feel really dumb explaining it to people. <laughs> and, and so, you know, increasingly, um, you know, really just do the real estate side with, with my capital. Yeah. Um, but, you know, on the credits side, I think, I think there are a lot of things. So the first, I got into credit investing because of real estate investing. Right. Yeah. So I, I was, I was, I'm kind of a regular in, in Connecticut at, at, all flavors of foreclosure sale, tax deed sale, tax lien sale, you know, judicial foreclosure sale. And so there was a point where there was an attorney who, um, you know, was hired by a lender to foreclose on a property. She just came across my name somehow, gave me a call and said, Hey, you know, how would you like to buy this loan? And I said, All right, I guess I'm a credit investor now. Let's try this. <laughs> and so, you know, I think I, I think I paid 50 cents on the dollar for the loan. It was really cheap. Um, and you know, it ended up being a, 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 not a straightforward deal, but a pretty profitable one. And so from there, you know, I just started reaching out to other local lenders and saying, Hey, you know, do you have any commercial paper that you'd like to unload that, you know, you're not trying to be? Cause all of these lenders ultimately, they, they don't want to be on the chain of title. They don't want to yeah. own real estate. They don't want to have to figure out third party management for it. They don't, that's not their business. Their business is we borrow from the Fed at nothing. And we lend to somebody else at more than nothing. We make that spread. That's our business, right? So yep. for them, they're like, all right, you know, we got a guy coming in who is going to pay us, you know, probably not par, but a decent price. 
and we're going to be done with this thing in 30 days, as opposed to in Connecticut, you know, a process that can take two years, the judicial foreclosure process, right? So that was sort of the first foray into credit investing. Um, and it was done very much with an eye towards how do I get real estate with an, an interesting basis? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the pandemic hit and that market really disappeared, that secondary market for, for commercial loans. Um, a lot of banks got a lot of money from the CARES Act and this kind of thing, and they didn't really have to mark their books for a while. And a lot of them wanted to see who the winners and losers would be from the from that crisis before deciding what they would sell, right? And so in the middle of that, we sort of pivoted and said, all right, that market's dried up. What would happen if we just started making our own loans? Yep. Um, and, you know, initially we focused pretty heavily on sort of special situations, right? Some 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 guy or gal inherits a property don't really know what to do with it, but they've got bills and they're trying to pay those things on free and clear. They want a 50 LTV loan. It's going to close in you know a couple of weeks. And so we, we did that kind of special sits thing for a bit. Um, but that flow is also very fickle, right? You're basically yeah. looking for borrowers who are sort of, I say smart enough, but dumb enough, right? <laughs> smart <laughs> enough to be able to get the loan and know that they need the loan, but kind of dumb enough that they can't go to a conventional lender. Yep. Right. And then and then, you know, we sort of pivoted into basically guys that look like me don't have a W-2, can't, don't really have a banking relationship. Right. Tax returns are funky because their AGI is is low because they own a bunch of real estate. Yeah. Right. And just need consistent, reliable debt capital that's going to be there when they call on it because they're finding off market stuff that needs to close quick. Right. Yep. Or they're buying stuff out of a foreclosure that needs to out of a foreclosure sale process that needs to close quickly. Um, so that was kind of the, that was sort of the path to origination, right? And again, it's a very, you know, similar to points that we touched on earlier, which is that, you know, I'd never planned to get into debt investing. I never planned to be a mortgage <laughs> originator. I never planned to, but, you know, when you get in the arena, you spot opportunities and you say, Hey, I mean, for me, it was the opportunity of I've borrowed from basically every hard money lender there is, and none of them ever closed in less than 60 days. And it always killed me because I I need to know this is going to close. This is my yeah. entire business. I don't have a W two job. I don't have some can fall back on. I need this deal to happen. And so yeah. when you guys tell me it's going to happen in thirty and it doesn't happen for sixty, that puts my whole that my whole operation you know is is in jeopardy. And 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 I need you know you need debt capital that's reliable in real estate. And a lot of people will pay a premium for it, right? I mean. Yeah. I get people all the time who come to me and say, hey, Kyle, you know, I got this, you know, I got a bank that's willing to do this at whatever rate. And I say, hey, listen, that's great. If that's real, you should take that. But if that's not real, <laughs> you've got my number. And, you know, a lot of them end up coming back because you you can you can you can look at the sticker price, but it's another thing to close the fucking line. Yeah. Right. And I think that's that's sort of the main thing. And so, you know, now we're now we're in the mode of, you know, scaling that business. That business is already bigger than and real estate in terms of in terms of revenue, which is which is another awesome aspect of it, right? I mean, debt really does scale quite well relative to equity um, in in real estate, anyways. And so, you know, that business is ramping, and so you know, we're just trying to take this this borrower centric um, ethos and really just improve the experience for those guys because they've got a business to run, and it doesn't help when you know we know nothing about what they're doing, and we're trying to make this. Well, which is, you know, the, which is the approach a lot of these guys have. You got some kid who just graduated, you know, UT or something, doesn't know anything about real estate. He's, he's studied psychology or some shit. And this is the guy. This yeah. is the guy who's going to decide if you live or die. Right. So, I mean, I think that's, 
that's you know we're we're taking a different approach and and um you know you you can see it by the fact that you know I'm I myself am coming from the equity side yeah I've, I've been through a lot of the that a lot of the people have had to deal with yeah it's awesome it's awesome to hear just you know the wild turn of events at different points in your career you know if you had to look back where you're at now and sort of what the day to day life looks like now versus various points in the past like how would you rate your level of overall enjoyment and like personal satisfaction versus like different points at you know in your career yeah no it's it's a great question i think that the thing the reason i started investing in real estate to begin with was because i cracked open the compliance handbook and i said what am i what am i allowed to do <laughs> with with without a lot of bullshit right because yeah. if i want to trade number one i can't trade commodities and number two if i want to trade any public anything there's there's at least you know a week long process with compliance where they're gonna ask yeah. me questions about why and all this shit. And so I think that being able to do whatever the I want with my with not only my capital but also my time mm-hmm. is incredibly is incredibly valuable. And I get a lot of enjoyment. I actually get a lot of enjoyment just out of that, right? Yeah. So I think there are people who play for and and it's really interesting to talk with different people and who've had levels of success in different things and say, you know, wh- why do you play the game? Like, what is it for you? Right? Like, are you, yeah. tr- is there some number you're trying to get to? Is there some net, is there some monthly number? Is there some net worth number? Is there, I'm always super interested to find out like yeah. what makes people do the shit that they do. And for me, it's, there's no numbers. Like I just love playing games. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm in a position now where like I can play basically any game i want like the first time i wrote an angel check i hopped on the phone with my buddy who found it and a couple other guys i went to college with after 30 minutes we were like yeah it like this could be zero but it could be a lot more than zero like that's kind of interesting and that was it right so i mean the the, i think the just having that degree of freedom with my time and with my capital to be able to do wild like that 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 puts that puts the enjoyment you know on just a totally different level relative to, okay, I like, I like following markets. I like reading research. I, I like taking risks. But when you have the time and the capital and you can really, really do whatever the fuck you want with it, there's no mandate. There's no rules. That to me is extremely satisfying. And it's something that you, it, it's just a hard thing. It's just a hard thing to get an institutional seat. Right. And so I think that that to me is what I get the most satisfaction of just that total. I can be I can be very, very agnostic. I can go as deep or as wide or as however I want to slice and dice this thing. You know, I can I can do it. And it's funny because it it really does come out in the things I've gotten involved in, because these are things if I was an institutional seat, you know, they'd be some pie in the sky, some wild. No one would ever (laughs) let you do that. How would compliance? okay that how would risk? okay that. Right. But you know, because it is, it is, you know, my time, my capital, it's really, really, it's, it's fun to sit around and be like, you know, what, what should we do with this? Yeah. Um, that Liberty is, is, is a lot of fun. I, I think you just like hit the nail on the head about what this show is all about as well. Like having that agency and, and the access to opportunities because of the arena you've put yourself in. So, uh, tons of great points and nuggets and, and throughout this, this discussion so far, I want to bring it home with, with sort of one overarching question. So you're talking to a young, early 20 something young adult who wants to uh, break into finance or real estate, or just 
not really sure about how to go about breaking into an arena that they want to. Like what, what's some of the advice you would give them based off like what you've learned, uh, taking many different twists and turns in your own career? I think the biggest piece, I think there's a couple of things that, you know, I wouldn't say that they're, they're not unique to me. And I think that's the yeah. beauty of them, right? There are things that you can do that are not innate that will benefit you no matter what you do. Yeah. And I think one of those things is just like an overarching an agnosticism of sorts, which would which would just tell you to to be willing to explore, right? Yeah. You might have some preconception about what what investment banking is, about what consulting is, about what any career track is, but you definitely should update that hypothesis if you get new information about how much you enjoy it, about Absolutely. how good you are at it about, you know, anything, right? You should always, always be willing to update your hypothesis in light of new information. And you should always be looking for new information because it could be the case that the thing that you thought you should do doesn't make any sense in light <laughs> of the new information. And if you don't act on it, you know, you're going to be pissed. You're going to be in some job that, you know, maybe it pays well or whatever, but maybe it's not, it's not the one that you should have, right? Yep. So I think an overarching, just total, total agnosticism and and, and a willingness to, update hypotheses in light of new information is huge. And I think the other one is just like a, a maybe there's a nicer way of saying it, but like you, you have to be aggressive, right? You cannot take no. And I think this, this is, this is the case in situations that are adversarial. It's the case in situations that are, you know, more convivial. I think broadly being aggressive, no one is going to, no one who is actually going to be helpful on your journey is going to look at you being hungry and aggressive and say, oh, that guy, he's too hungry, and too aggressive, <laughs> right? Yeah. I've gotten into rooms where people are like, you are an aggressive motherfucker. We like that, right? Yeah. Whereas the guy, you know, the, the, the guy or the gal who's, who's not going to take your call, they're going to, they're, they're not going to take your call anyway. They're not going to be helpful anyway, right? Yeah. So I think being comfortable with rejection and recognizing that that is part of the process and part of being aggressive, which is ultimately what's going to, you know, lead to success, all those reps, you know, and being okay with that. I think that's, I think that's another, another thing that again, can totally be learned. It's not innate. You literally just have to go out there and be like, I don't give a shit. I'm going to succeed. It doesn't fucking matter. These are all just draws out of the distribution. And the more draws I can make out of the distribution, the more likely it is that this one is, you know, that one of them is going to be the one, right? So I think that's that. That's the other thing. It's just you. You have to hit it. You have to hit it hard. I love it. Tons of great advice there, man. Great, great points to end on. Great. Uh, I mean, I love that. Those aren't generic pieces of advice. I don't get get points like that very often. So thanks for uh, thanks for those last two nuggets there. And yeah, thanks no for joining us. I'm not. I'm not special. I think that's an over. I think that's important. <laughs> <laughs> I you know. I might, uh, I might be, I might be decent at tweeting. Maybe that's innate, but you know, that, broadly speaking, not special. Anyone, anyone can hit the shit hard and, and have an open mind about it, right? So. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, thanks for so, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Self Directed. Uh, for the listeners out there on your favorite po- podcast platform, hit subscribe. Drop us a comment if you're watching on YouTube, and we'll be back again soon. Thanks, Mitchell. Yeah, you bet.